Hello everyone, I'm your host Patrick, and you're listening to Not Adding Up. Today I am covering another installment of the Oakland County Child Killer, and I am joined by my friend Abby. Hey guys, I'm glad to be back for part three. Um, I can't wait to see what we have in store for today. Before we get back into the case, I just wanted to take a moment and thank all my listeners. So since my last episode has been released, it's been officially a month since I started this podcast. And I'm so happy with the response it's gotten this far. Oh, yay. I'm glad. As I said in the first episode, research is a passion of mine. And this gives me the opportunity to do what I love. And seeing the people, seeing that people enjoy it just makes me so happy. Yeah, I know you love to read and study a lot. So this is just a thank you to all my listeners for the support. And if you're looking for a new way to support the show and you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leaving a five-star review would be very appreciated and helps a lot. And I'm also in the process of starting a Patreon account where anyone who wishes can subscribe to different tiers for special access to Not Adding Up. Before I start getting into new information, I wanted to clarify... That once again, <laughs> I misspoke in the last episode. I had to re- do this last time. But so, no, the murders did not take place from 1776 to 1977. They took place from 1976 um, to 1977. I misspoke. You didn't yeah, even I notice. heard when I listened to it after you posted it. Well, I'm glad you noticed after the fact, Abby. That's very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> More importantly, however, is that Francis Sheldon former owner of North Fox Island, was not punished after he fled the country following Jerry Richards' arrest. While the federal flight warrant was issued, a 2021 Detroit article says that he was never apprehended. So I remember you asked what a federal flight warrant was, and I was talking about how they brought them both back. Yeah. And I was still in the process of finishing up all my research, and... Mm -hmm. They kind of jump back and forth between the different cases because there's, as we will get into in this episode and the next episode, there is a clusterfuck of an investigation. Not to say that it was necessarily unorganized on all fronts because there are definitely some fronts that were very put together and organized, but the amount of suspects and wild goose chases and tips that this case has always had has been massive to say the least. Yeah, it seems like it's gone on for decades decades indeed it's crazy so i left you off with richard lawson pedophile and violent criminal talking with Corey williams about the oakland county child killer case okay do you remember Corey williams was related to one of the was related to tim that the the Corey williams somehow grandfather was friends with Christine Mihalik's family. Oh, okay. We talked about how Lawson tried to give his story to the police in the past, and they weren't really taking it. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. That's it, because it's an important part. We need to remember the fact that this man has been trying to give these names and talk about this for decades. Yeah, and I remember that. Williams is the first man to really, like, take him seriously and listen. But here is Lawson's story. I gave a little bit of it in the last episode for like his uh, string of robberies and homicide of Xavier Giller. But I have not gotten into his direct story and direct involvement with the Oakland County child killer. As I left you off in the last episode, he has the names of individuals who he says are associated with it. He says that they are two adult male pedophiles. One was the brains into boys, and one was the bronze, and they were into girls. Hmm. The names of these two individuals are Ted Orr and Bob Moore. (laughs) 
Oh, that, wow. So we haven't heard these names yet, have we? No, and like, isn't that just Ted or Bob Moore? Yeah, it sounds creepy. It sounds it's like rhyme. rhyme, yeah. <laughs> Ew. So he got these names from Lawson, and the hunt was on for Williams. Oh, he was like, this is great. I have new information to go off of. Right. So first he found Bob Moore. Okay. He found him, like... He found in the US? who he was. Okay. Bob Moore uh-huh. was a convicted pedophile connected with numerous child porn operations. However, in a bittersweet discovery, Williams found that Moore had died at the age of 55 in his home in 1996. So this is obviously really upsetting because we can't get any information from him. Yeah. But by the time his body was discovered, his dog had chewed him to bits. <gasps> So, like, what? Yeah, good for that motherfucking dog. Yeah, that dog so. deserves an award. Some justice. Ted Orr, on the other hand, was a little harder to find. Oh. Mainly because Orr was an alias, and his mm. actual last name was Lambergy. Williams would come to discover that Ted's last name was Lambergy after hours of sorting through over 20,000 paper case files. Oh, my God. They were not digitized at the time, so he had to go through them by hand. That that would take so long. It's dedication. That is. That's commitment. It right shows there. that Williams is... He, he wants to solve this. Dedicated. Like, he wants to figure this out. As I mentioned, Williams found files that indicated that Lawson tipped off police of these individuals being Ted Lambergy and Bob Moore's involvement in the Oakland County child killer... Prior to 1977. Oh, so they were involved? Excuse me. In 1977, prior to, like, the last murder of the Oakland County child killer. Oh, okay. Wow. But he, for all we know, they could be very well involved. Exactly. Let's get more into it. Because Lamborghini is still alive. Good. Still in his 60s, and he was living in West Cleveland. He moved from Detroit shortly after the killing stop. He moved to Detroit after from, the stop. From Detroit. To Cleveland. Detroit would be Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Hmm, so he that's moved. That's interesting. <laughs> we said, wait a minute. <laughs> this two-person team, however, conflicts with what police had been thinking about the case. So I gave the story about how they were like, it must be some wealthy family, and they just got their son, like, locked up in a mental institution. Right. Yeah, I remember. That's what the police are giving to the public. So this two-person team conflicts with that story. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But who is to say the police are telling the truth in this case? So after Williams could make this connection between Ted Lamberge and the Oakland County area, he was determined to question him. So he had police in the area he was living pull him over, and they arrested him, letting him know that a police officer from Detroit wanted to talk to him, to which Ted said, I knew my past would catch up with me. Oh, really? So he just, like... He just outed himself right there a little bit. As being a pedophile. Yeah. Just not the Oakland County child killer. I know, but that's like, okay. If there's one thing about this case, it's that there's a lot of pedophiles. No, it's that there's a lot of pedophiles. A lot of them. A sickening amount of pedophiles are are in existence. So what happened to that Fox Island guy again? Where'd he go? Abby's like, let's take a right left turn. Yeah, hold on. Go back to that. Frank Sheldon. Yes, what happened to him? And he said it in the beginning, but. Frank Sheldon, after getting exposed for being involved in the child porn industry, Mm -hmm. fled the country and avoided any punishment. Okay. He eventually died of natural causes. F him. Yes. Very much so. F him. Sorry about that. Back to where we are now. No, you're <laughs> fine. Always ask questions. So Williams brought him in for questioning. And Lamberge admitted his involvement in child porn in the 70s, along with Moore and Lawson. 
he discussed a, quote, boys' night out where they would go and find little boys, show them porn, and molest them. No. Ew. Stop. Ew. Abby's not. If you had to read. Boys' night out. The things I read for this case would have forever changed me. Me on Reddit. Lamborghini, however, insisted that he was no killer. He said that he would take a polygraph to prove it. Okay, well, prove it then. So these are some of the questions that they asked him. All right. In 1976 to 1977, did you participate in any of the murders of the Oakland County Child Killer Kids? Were you involved with anyone who was responsible for the murder of the Oakland County Child Killer Kids? Were you present when they were killed? Did you see anyone kill any of these kids? Ted Lamberge failed the test very, very badly. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you have any more? So, what did he get wrong? Well, I, it was just saying, with all of the polygraphs that they mentioned in this case, it just says if they, if they come back, like if they clear him, or if it comes back that he's being deceptive. Right. But I normally hate the use of polygraphs because they're not very... Um, trustworthy because yeah. it's really just if you've seen Steve Wilko's show <laughs> no yeah that's what they do they do lie detector test to see who's the like who's the mom or like if they like take a lie detector to say like did you sleep with your daughter and like pedophile stuff like that and he's an he's an ex-cop he was on the Jerry Springer show Jerry Springer show. Yeah, he was a bodyguard on that. He must be very um, highly regarded if he was on the Jerry Springer show. But what I was going back to is the polygraph test. I think it is kind of hit or miss, too. It's just, isn't it testing your um, blood pressure or heart rate? It really just tests how, like, nervous you are. Yeah. Like, because if you're going to be calm, cool, and collected when talking about awful things that you've done, then you'll be able to pass one. But if you're going to be nervous just in the presence of police, that's a different story. Yeah, I would be nervous. We talked a lot about polygraphs in the West Memphis 3 case, too. But he failed this one, and the reason I think it's interesting is because they had given polygraphs to over 300 different sex offenders over the 30-year investigation, and every single one of them passed. Really? So he is the first person to take a polygraph in connection to the Oakland County Child Killer case officially and fail out of 300, over 300. That's saying something. Lamberge admitted to over a dozen sexual assaults and could identify all his victims with a sickening clarity. However, continues to deny that he had anything to do with the Oakland County child killings. So, in a follow-up investigation after he was initially brought in by Williams, Gary Gray from the Michigan State Police, do you remember him? Yeah. He takes charge of the investigation. While Williams had to watch through a one-way mirror, and Gray conducted the interrogation. Mm -hmm. Williams did all of the work for this case. He is the one who brought in this suspect through a cold case that he was investigating, and now he's being forced to sit on the side of a one-way mirror and watch this uh, state police. He he wasn't even allowed to just sit in there, or like, no, why? he had to be on the other side. That's of the so mirror. messed up. He's the one that dedicated him a big portion of his life to this case. This should give you an idea of the kind of power-hungry piece of shit that Gary Gray is. A quote from Williams regarding the matter is, when it's your case, you take the confession. And that's pretty simple to understand. Lamberge maintained for years that he had nothing to do with the Oakland County child killings. Even when he was facing over a dozen felonies with multiple life sentences, he decided not to take a plea deal that would have allowed him to choose where he goes into placement. And we all know that sex offenders, especially child sex offenders, do not do well in prison. Yeah, no. All he had to do was talk with police and take another polygraph, and they would have helped him. But he did not take the deal. Williams maintains that this man has to know something more that he's not giving the police. 
I think he knows more too. <laughs> An interesting side note on Richard Lawson. The year before Lawson murdered Xavier Giller, he was sitting in a jail cell for criminal sexual conduct charges when he would phone none other than Barry King, father of Tim King, and tell him that he knew who had killed Tim. To which Barry King immediately called the police. The police officer that he called was Detective Don Stutt, who was a rookie during the time in the 1980s, but he would eventually work his way up to be chief of police of the area. So that's just a side note. Don's so you told the police and they did nothing about it? That guy did nothing? Let me get there. Okay. We're being thorough. All right. We All should right. understand. This is a four-parter. Okay? All right. Okay. Okay. I'm explaining who Don Stutt is, Abby. Okay, Don Stutt. Here Don we go. Stutt. So what I was getting into before Abby so rudely interrupted me. whatever was that in (laughs) mid-september 1988 barry king stut the police officer i was just talking about and another police officer sat down with lawson for two and a half hours that's a long time he told them how he became a child pedophile expert which is what i was telling you about last time how he kind of like spilled that story of how the police were working with him and like kind of giving him the green light on molesting children in order to get information. Yeah, but they weren't. No. That wasn't his duty. He just did it. And Yeah. yeah. He described to them how this pedophile ring operated and estimated over 140 kids around the area were involved. Lawson names four individuals involved with the pedophile ring. All right. The first is a wealthy real estate executive named Francis Sheldon. We all know about Hmm. him at this point. Yeah. He financed child porn, and he moved away to a remote island not long after. And this is Lawson's information in the 80s. That's that's wild. Okay, wait, that's actually not that wild, because they did know that he moved after. Because it came out in 1976 that the Sheldon thing was happening, but he was making this connection. Lawson referred to the other killers, not by name, but by number. And we can assume who two of these three men are, but one of them is still kind of a mystery to me. Number one was a gambler, trafficked cocaine, and just provided the children. So that's the one I'm still kind of confused about. Number two was an individual who made porn films in his apartment funded by Sheldon, and that would be Bob Moore, who died in the 90s and was eaten up dead eaten dead by his dogs he wasn't eaten alive but motherfucker was dead but the second one or the the gambler one we don't know their name i don't i don't but there are so many people involved with this pedophile sex ring i bet there was that hundreds and hundreds and and not all of them are involved with the oakland county child killer case most of them aren't but they still are doing this shit lawson is saying these people are the Number three was a motor executive from Ford Motor capable of murder, and this was Ted Lamberge. Williams was absolutely dumbfounded at how well this lined up with what he learned over the last decade. He was even more horrified at the fact that it was not followed up on. There there were so many times in this case when shit could have been figured out i feel like okay are you holding on to your pants are you sitting down yes so lawson made this connection just for it to be discarded by police but in order for cooperating well in exchange for cooperating with police he was given immunity for charges that he was facing these charges were um child sexual assault charges So he didn't have to... Let me repeat that. They dismissed his child sex offenses in exchange for information that they never followed up on. Do I need to say it a third time? What the fuck, Michigan State Police? (laughs) Actually, I can't be sure if it was Michigan State Police. Okay, but... So he got off. Just... You can go home. 
Not an uncommon thing. We will find out. That just pisses me off. <laughs> Williams was the first police officer to arrest Lawson in connection to the Oakland County child killer case. And this was in the 2000s. Okay. Like 30 years Gosh, after. so long after. The piece of shit Lawson died in a prison cell in 2012. And he is not missed. No. Let's get back to this man drama between Corey Williams and Gary Gray. Gray was pissed at Williams because Williams was putting pressure on the crime lab to retest the results of some DNA that they had. This badass, referring to Corey Williams, went out and publicly thanked the crime lab for something that they hadn't done yet, which is like in the like real world with corporations and fucking like politics. It's like if somebody thanks you on the media, you have to do it or you're going to look like real bad to oh, everybody. I see what he did there. Yeah. So it's a tactic. But Gray was pissed at him for that. For trying to investigate the yeah. case, I guess. Ew, I don't like him. Gray, He's probably in it for all we know. Gray and the Michigan State Police also said he was too involved with the media and too involved with the families. Williams was fed up at this point and snapped straight back at Gray, reminding him that he works for the city of Livonia, not the Michigan State Police, and he's a volunteer on the Oakland County child killer case. Gary Gray was not Williams' boss, and he was not going to let him forget that. But Gray was also mad because Williams recognized two Ohio detectives for their work in the Lamborghini case. They were honored by the Livonia Police Department and other departments in Michigan. So... Obviously, since it's not Michigan State Police or Michigan County getting credit for this, Gray was pissed. And Williams was confused because he all he saw was great police officers who did great work. Yeah. That's, that's sad. Despite Williams having support from his police chief, a Detroit FBI agent, and the Wayne County prosecutor, Gray and the Michigan State Police decided to kick him off the task force for the Oakland County child killer case. They kicked off Williams? Me, bitch. Me. No. She they just, can't. I guess, like, people listening probably could have thought that was a genuine question, but I just could see Abby's face, and I just know she was like, what? They kicked... That was just, like, a rhetorical... But, yeah. It was disbelief. They kicked off the main investigator, the one doing all the work. The one work. that knows all the information, the one that has, has all provided the knowledge them. And, and gave them all this shit. This this ain't right. This whole this whole case is not right. One could say this whole case doesn't add up. Yes, <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> so Williams was kicked off, but his the chief of Livonia police said, "Just keep working on the case, okay? Like, don't worry about them." Oh, Livonia he. Williams is from Livonia. Yeah. There is a lot of counties involved in the Oakland County Child Killer Task Force. But the Michigan State Police seems to be the, the, like, the snake in the boot, for lack of a better analogy. (laughs) Okay. And Wayne County is not too favorable either, but we won't really talk about that yet. So let's get a little conspiracy theorist, if we may. Okay. So if Lawson was indicating the correct individuals and was in contact with the Oakland County child killer at one point in time, then it must have been connected to the North Fox Island in the worldwide child porn industry. Yeah. I see how it comes back around. This would explain a lot. This would explain why the children's bodies were cleaned and cared for, why they were kept alive for a long period of time in some cases, over Mm -hmm. two weeks, and most disturbingly, why big money would have incentive to keep this case from coming to light. That, that, that sounds pretty interesting. But to this day, that is just a conspiracy theory because police have found no connections officially between North Fox Island and the Oakland County child killer that they admit or acknowledge. That's a good theory, I think. So while all of this is happening, the Kings, family of Tim King, have something for Corey Williams that is going to be of use in the investigation. As I mentioned in the last episode, the Kings played a vital role in the investigation, 
and in 2007 they received a vital piece of information that they only felt sharing with Corey Williams. At this point they had a lot of distrust for the police and especially Michigan State Police because they felt really nothing had been done in the last 30 years for their brother. So her source for this information was Patrick Coffey, a longtime friend who was working in California as a polygraph expert. Hmm, Patrick Coffey. Coffey decided on the career path of being a polygraph expert shortly after the murder of Tim King. He was so affected by this that he wanted to go into criminal investigation and make a difference. Good for him. He learned of a confession and a stroke of luck during a conversation with a man who claimed to have administered a test to the Oakland County child killer, another polygraph expert. Okay. This man was named Larry Wasser. Wasser told Coffey when discussing the Oakland County child killer, Well, I guess I can tell you this now, because the attorney is dead, and the guy who did it is dead. I administered a test to the guy who killed your neighbor boy. Wow. Wasser said in the preliminary questioning stage of the polygraph, the individual he was administering the test to failed questioning relating to the killings. Okay, why didn't this guy say anything again? Wasser at the time. It was a private polygraph. He wasn't working for police. Who was he working for then? We'll get to it. Immediately after receiving this information, Coffey called the King family. Kathy King told Corey Williams, and he filed an investigative subpoena so he could speak to Wasser. Wasser agreed to meet with Williams, and when he explained that there was an investigative subpoena, Wasser was absolutely shook. Do you understand how serious this is? Is what he yelled at Corey Williams. Whenever he realized that there was an investigative subpoena and that police were officially looking into this. Who Wasser said that? The polygraph expert. He said he was hired in the late 70s to give a polygraph on a child molestation case that was unrelated to the Oakland County child killer. And as I said, this was in the preliminary part of the polygraph where they were just asking questions to establish a baseline. And he asked if he had ever been polygraphed for molestation before. And he said yes. And he said he was cleared from the Oakland County child killer case. Wasser knew that the Michigan State Polygraph Examiner, who administered the polygraph for the Oakland County child killer to his client, was a very inconsistent examiner. He even passed a suspect who Wasser later tested and determined that he failed definitively. Wow. Wasser tells Williams exactly what he told Patrick Coffey and that his subject confessed to the murder of Timothy King. Oh my gosh. But in a convenient instance of amnesia, Wasser claims he doesn't remember the name of his client or the lawyer. Yeah, of course. He but he, re- he remembers them well enough to be afraid of them. Because it's clear that he's very afraid of someone. Mm-hmm. And Wasser is doing everything that he can to not be put on the stand in front of a jury and a judge. So Williams goes looking for this polygraph and eventually finds it. And as Wasser confirmed, the suspect was dead. Christopher Brian Bush died in 1978. And a named accomplice, Gregory Woodward Green, died in prison in 1995. Wow. Two more names. There's so many names involved in this. It is hard to keep track, but... Um, I'm with you. (laughs) Yes, just in case my listeners aren't. So, so far we have Lawson, who Williams was investigating in a cold case and began giving names he believed was associated to the Oakland County child killer. He gave the names of Bob Moore, deceased, not investigated because he was deceased, and Ted Lambergy, who was investigated and found to have molested a lot of children in the area but still insisted that he was not the killer. This is an entirely separate tip that emerged from California, from polygraphers in California, so this isn't related to the investigation of Xavier Giller and Richard Lawson. Father of Christopher Bush, 
H. Lee Bush was the executive financial director in Europe and the United States for General Motors, which was at the time the largest auto manufacturer in the entire world. Guidelines for the neighborhood in which the Bushes lived was that all houses required a rear entry garage so they look like a part of the house, which would provide a convenient cover for bringing people in unnoticed. Some interesting things about the family that emerged through the investigation. A man tells police that a little girl was walking home from school and found a pornographic photograph in the driveway of the Bush family. Child porn, uh, needless to say. Oh my gosh. And Charles Bush, only surviving son of H. Lee Bush, in 2009, said that his father at one point in their lives destroyed all of their family documents, including social security cards and birth certificates. Really? Wow. Yes. He had he had to have done something to do that. Something terrible. In the first six months of 1976, the year the Oakland County child killers killings began, Christopher Bush racked up four sexual assault charges. Jane Burgess, the infamous unnamed attorney, was the Bush family attorney, and she would fly on the family's private jet from county to county, in which Christopher was arrested and post bail time and time again. She posted two $10,000 bonds, a $12,000 bond, and the fourth bond was a $75,000 bond that she reduced to $1,000. And this was in the 70s. Wow. So that's a lot more money now. Yes, yes. She convinced four separate judges not to lock up Christopher Bush for even a single night. Four judges? And he committed terrible, terrible things. Oh my gosh. Did awful things to many children. Bush's associate, Gregory Green, was from a poor family and did not enjoy such legal assistance. His father worked on the factory line at General Motors, and his mother passed when he was 16, after which he went down a criminal path. He moved to California and got a night job at Kmart and coached a baseball team in the day where he would molest children at night. The children on his baseball team. What? No. He And he coached it? Yeah. It was the baseball team that he coached. Yeah. In 1974, he was arrested on 45 counts of molestation, kidnapping, and false imprisonment. For this, he spent six months in jail and six months in a mental hospital. One year for 45 counts of molestation. That's just truly disgusting. It's not enough. He admitted to molesting over 200 children in the mid to (gasps) late 70s. Just one guy? Mm Mm-hmm. Why do people think... Why do people do that? What the fuck? Why? That's disgusting. This guy kind of, like... They mentioned in the book that he has, like, movie star good looks. And, like, I'm sure he was able to, like, use his looks to kind of, like... Just get his way through life and not be deemed as like a creepy pedophile because he doesn't look like a creepy pedophile. But what is a creepy? Did pedophile people do those like? for money, or did they do it because they liked it? Like what the fuck? The children, the the all those people that are involved in the pedophile, all the pedophiles. I mean, they're not like, making money from it. Like, I mean, that's hard. But the people buying it are definitely doing it for their own enjoyment. Ooh. <laughs> Green was caught thanks to a badass victim who Green molested and left for dead on the side of the road, but this victim lived and remembered Green's face well enough to talk with police and identify him. Hell yeah. In 1976, he was released from the hospital and sent to serve out his parole in Michigan, living with his father. While it was made to seem like his father was going to be caring for him, it was actually the reverse of the situation. His father was very sick, and he really wasn't going to get the supervision that he was, that the police or the prison thought he was. Yeah. So, in February of 1976, he moved to Detroit four days before Mark Stebbins went missing. On February 11th, 1976, he moved back to Detroit four days before Mark Stebbins went missing. However, he would later change the state when talking to to police to match Bush's alibi for the 14th when questioned about Stebbins. Hmm. Changed it? Changed the date. 
So did he get back three days before, or did he get back the day of? In January 1977, both of these men were arrested on criminal sexual conduct charges in Flint, Michigan, brought on by Kenneth Bowman, who is a 14-year-old who they were sexually assaulting. Some crucial information that Bowman brought to light was he ID'd some of their cars, which included a 1970s Chevy, a 1970 Grey Impala, a 60s-style Pontiac, and a 1974 blue Chevy Vega hatchback with a double hockey strip on the side that could easily be mistaken for a blue gremlin. Like that one in the beginning. The car that was sighted. However, the blue gremlin kind of seems like it can, it's a herring. In this case, it's not really a smoking gun. And yeah, it's just like, take it with a grain of salt. Because it was an eyewitness victim. And the Kings had long not believed that it was involved because it was still there the night of. Because Chris Bush went, excuse me, Christopher King went back to the pharmacy the night that Timothy King was murdered just to look and he was just pissed off and went back with yeah. a baseball bat and he was to just see like, who's, who's who am I going to yeah. beat up <laughs> exactly Green passed two polygraphs regarding Mark Stebbins so that clears him of that suspicion at least a former prison cellmate of Green who he had a sexual relationship with told Williams that Green had confessed to killing four kids and getting away with it and he was given a polygraph after telling the story and was telling the truth Okay. So that's a story of a prison cellmate so that he, he was, was like in a like, relationship. The guy confessed to him that he did that. Correct. Wow. Whether or not he did it, but he confessed to him that he did. Yes. Green blames Bush for the murder of Mark Stebbins. Green and Bush had been connected in numerous uh, sexual assault charges in the past. When Chris Bush is arrested for the sexual assault of Christopher Bowman, he asked if he could go home to pick up some clothes to before they went to the station and the police asked if they could search his home and he said that he had nothing to hide so they went they found two shotguns neither of which matching the gauge that had killed Jill Robinson they found a pound of weed and a suitcase with ropes plastic and other suspicious materials and in the basement they found a massive amount of child porn yeah, I have nothing to hide. Clearly. Clearly this man knew his money would get him off. I hate him. I hate him all. During his interrogation, he told the police that he discussed with Green their fantasy about kidnapping a boy. And he said if they were to act on the fantasy, they would work on alternating shifts so that they could always be with the child. Which would explain how they were kept for so long and nobody knew or saw the children. He said he had nothing to do with Mark Stebbins, however, and he said that he just flew back from England with his parents on the 14th, which is when Green changed his alibi to. Oh, okay. Christopher Bush also identified the Big Brother program where he said... He said a lot of pedophiles would find their victims this way, and along with the name of the program, he gave pickup sites that were common for pedophiles to pick up children. The pickup sites he gave were the locations of the Oakland County child killing abductions, which he listed in chronological order before Tim King even went missing. Oh my god. This is like slowly adding up. Like this is... Indicating a very widespread pedophile ring. Just like, it's like connecting in ways that are, ugh, I have chills. He admitting to picking up a child at all of the locations, but he was not admitting to killing any of them. This way he would have an alibi for each and every case if he was spotted. So, Green passed his polygraph. Bush is also given a polygraph in January of 1977. Do you know who killed Mark? Did you ever have him with you? Are you withholding any information? He passed the polygraph and was deemed not involved with the murders. Bush and Green were then both cleared and not looked into any further by police in connection to the Oakland County child killer. If any more tips came in about the two, which they did, 
the tips were neglected to be filed as the file that they had on them said cleared by polygraph. Bond was set at $75,000 for both men, which Bush's would be reduced to $1,000 and Green's would not. So let's talk about Wasser, the polygrapher, for a little bit more. Jane took Christopher Bush to see Wasser to have a private polygraph administered. The prosecutor initially was taking no plea deals in the case that, in the Bowman case, but he had caved and received incentives from someone to back the hell off, and he received a two-year probation for brutally raping a young child. Probation? Two-year probation. Excuse me. As Wasser told Coffee, the attorney and the client were both dead. So yes, Jane Burgess was dead by the time this part of the investigation is taking place. But they did speak with her husband. He said that Jane was well compensated by the Bush family, but not because they loved their son. These were cold and calculated people who only cared about their reputation. One of their sons, Christopher, was a horrible pedophile. One of their sons fell into alcohol and drug abuse and died at a young age. One of their sons was disowned and died of AIDS. And one of their sons they actually accept. But three out of four had died before they even died. Wow. So that tells you what kind of like... Just... How they raised their children and the trauma that they put them through. Yeah, that's crazy. But they accepted one of them. That's weird. I think he was like probably better with business. Jane's husband said that Jane came to like Chris, and Chris liked her. Some sort of, like, sick sympathy, I guess. The Burgesses were even invited to the Bushes' guest house, and they went out to, like, kind of take a vacation there, where Chris came in and, like, made them dinner at one point. Oh. Which is weird and scary. (laughs) Yeah, that's creepy. Okay. Her husband says that he did not know that he was being investigated as the Oakland County child killer, but he believes that he could be involved. So, he's pointing fingers at him, too. Wow. Yes. So, as we said, they have both died before they can be investigated. Green dies of a heart attack in his prison cell at the age of 45. Oh. And Bush committed suicide, according to official records, at 27 in 1978. Four weeks after this suicide the Oakland County Task Force was disbanded. Coincidentally. Yeah. Coincidentally. And Bush's death is nothing but suspicious. It was estimated that he was dead for about three days before being discovered. During the time of his quote-unquote suicide, his parents were in Europe trying to patch things up with their son who was described as a quote, homosexual and a little bit of an activist. And they disowned him for being so. So let's get this straight. F them. A child molester predator is perfectly fine. And let's continue to enable him. But like a gay activist, like, oh God. God Oh no, that's scary. That's, that's. Go to jail. Do not collect go. Do not collect $200 for homo. Like, no. That's. mm. Okay. Your priorities are messed up. Yeah. That's fucked up. So this suicide. Bush shot himself in between the eyes with a shotgun and his family and his co-workers says that he was not acting weird and he even left his job for a better one recently which indicates that he was not planning to commit suicide this is a man who is also used to getting away with terrible terrible things with a smack on the wrist so he can't think that he's considering that he's going to be punished for these crimes he already is not with a shotgun aren't those long like we'll get into that Okay, because that's actually my next my next point. It was also nearly impossible for him to shoot himself the way he was laying, the way he was found laying in his bed, and he was shot between the eyes. And Williams looked at the aspects of the crime, and he was in like immediately suspicious of this. He was like, "This is not making any sense." Yeah. And a study of the evidence found at the crime scene concluded that it was very suspicious. There was no significant blood splatter found at the scene, and there is a huge inconsistency in the reports about the number of bullet holes found in the body. Hmm. 
Additionally, shots between the eyes with a long-barreled weapon would have been extremely hard to achieve. Yeah. This is like freaking Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He, he was used a shotgun exactly. or whatever. But that's also like at a close range, those things like really have a big impact. Mm-hmm. And like the, there was no blood. Splatter. Yeah, that does not make sense. Pinned to the wall next to his dead body was a drawing of a young boy that strongly resembled Mark Stebbins. The drawing? And the boy was in, like, a lot of pain. It was, like, a really sinister drawing. It was not, like, just a pleasant little drawing. There was also a rope found near his body with blood on them and a single 12-gauge shotgun shell on the shelf in his bedroom. The same shell that was used to kill Jill Robinson and never found at the scene. Police believed that it was taken from the killer. Oh. Wow. The study that looked into the crime scene also concluded that this evidence seemed placed. Like, specifically sat there. Just yeah, like, like the drawing, the shotgun, the show. Once again, they made no connections between the Oakland County child killer case with the drawing on the wall and the shotgun show. When are they ever going to make a connection? And this evidence was destroyed before Williams could ever get to it to investigate further. What? We'll get into that next episode because it's a whole mess. The evidence should not be destroyed. It's a lot of floods in Michigan, apparently. A lot of them. Really? Which there could genuinely be, but there is a suspicious amount of floods in this specific case. Like, literal weather floods. Like, documentation of entire... Um, buildings of police records going missing and then oh, documenting it. I thought I said meant like water. That's what it is. That's what they're documenting. They're saying a flood destroyed all this evidence, but it happens multiple, oh. multiple, multiple times. I see what you're saying. Okay. Williams had polygraph examiners of his own double check the records of the polygraph that Wasser administered, and they came to the same conclusion and said that Christopher Bush was failing and lying, being deceptive about. Mark Stebbins' murder. Quick trigger warning. We're going to get into a description of what a victim told Corey Williams. Kenneth Bowman, individual who got Christopher Bush and Gregory Green arrested, said that he remembers being forced to have sex with Timothy King after being shown a picture. Bowman also said that he was picked up by Ted Lambergy, which connects the three of them together. While continuing to look into the victims of Christopher Bush and Gregory Green, Corey Williams discovered James Gunnels. Gunnels told Williams that he was molested by Bush on numerous occasions and was showed child pornography at Bush's home theater. Gunnels also recalls playing basketball with his friends shortly after this assault. And a limo pulled up to them. It was Chris's mother, and she was waving money at him and telling him to get in the car so they could talk. Gunnels was obviously very frightened by this and ran away, but yeah. it's just crazy that this mother was trying to, like, hush-hush some child that yeah. her son, or her adult son, molested. Oh, wow. Gunnels claimed no relationship to Greg Green at all, but Williams says that he believes this is because Green actually has something against Gunnels, if you believe it or not. Hmm. They referred to an interview with Green, and they asked him if, like, he wanted anybody dead. Probably this to be, like, to get him to admit to killing. He said his father and James Gunnels. Why is he so against him? So it's like, if, and he's, uh, Gunnels said that Bush is the one who molested him. So he's, Green is not being accused of molesting Gunnels, but Green does not like Gunnels for some reason. It's weird. Even stranger is DNA evidence, the first of any kind in this case, that is found to link James to the case. 
making it a question to everyone is this man a victim or a compliant assistant yeah in the murders of these children and that is where I'm going to leave you for part three no I wanted to know <laughs> I wanted to know so oh. we are leaving with DNA evidence but we're not I'm not leaving you with what kind of DNA evidence it is yet right yeah oh oh my gosh this has been a wild ride the next part everybody i promise will be the last part but since this investigation literally took 30 plus years and it's just so wild and uncovered so much i feel like and i'm not even giving you all of it like if i i'm telling you if you want this full story read the book the snow killings i have it had it linked in all of the show descriptions so it is a great book on this case. It is a wealth of knowledge. And we're going to talk about the author of it even more in part four. I'm going to be posting pictures relating to the case on my Instagram at podcast NAU. That's at podcast NAU. You can also find me on Facebook. I just created a Facebook page under not adding up. And there's also a discussion group, the Not Adding Up discussion group, that you can look up on Facebook as well. I always love reading your guys' feedback and comments about the episode, so being active on Facebook or Instagram makes me really happy, and just giving me your feedback, how you feel about the cases, how you feel about the show, and it just really makes my day whenever I can read you guys' comments. I hope everybody is having a great day morning, afternoon, or evening, and I hope that you all tune in again soon for another case that just does not add up.